five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Q Podcast. This week, my guest is Jeffrey Osborne, co-founder and vice president of business development at Toronto-based Kepler Communications. Kepler is developing next-generation satellite communication technologies for the machine-to-machine and Internet of Things satellite market, with the goal of launching a constellation of satellites for that developing marketplace. To date, they've launched one of three demonstration satellites. Another will launch this summer, followed by another in mid-2019. Today, Jeffrey and I talked about the news this week that they had partnered with Catapult Satellite Applications, a UK company created by the government Innovate UK program to drive economic growth through the exploitation of space. Catapult will help Kepler expand their operations into the UK and Europe. We also discussed their application with the US FCC to get a spectrum license for their satellites, as well as a recent contract with the Canadian Space Agency and their experience launching with China, the first company to do so in Canada. Welcome, Jeffrey, to the Space Q podcast. Thanks, Mark. So this week, you and the UK's satellite applications Catapult announced a partnership for an in-orbit demonstration mission of your Internet of Things technology. The program, I understand, will provide up to 650,000 pounds, which is about $1.1 million Canadian from Innovate UK and the UK Space, Space Agency, and from what I understand, also includes the launch. This sounds like a great program. What was the thinking of applying for the in-orbit demonstration mission program? Good question. Um, I'd say for us, I'd say for us, one of the big, one of the big motivators behind it was um, it it gave us the opportunity to really test out the UK um, as a place that we, we want to be part of. Um, So that means um, establishing technology partnerships out there. That means um, working with the satellite applications catapult in terms of collaborative business development. Um, And for us, it was really this, Um, this sort of first opportunity to uh, expand internationally. Um, And that was really one of the big, the primary motivating factors behind it. And what's the benefit to Catapult? The benefit to Catapult is that, uh, well, I mean, so so Catapult's mandate is really about um, promoting UK space technologies um, and and UK space industry. Um, And so for them, one of the things that was that was really key um, in sort in sort of this whole process is, um, you know, how can we bring companies and that can help flourish the UK ecosystem? Um, and so that was um, sort of the main driver for them in in terms, of, or one of the main drivers for them in terms of the selection process. And so you're as part of the deal, you're you're going or the I suppose the partnership, you're going to be setting up at uh, is is it at Harwell itself that you're going to be setting up? Uh, to be determined exactly where the location is going to be, 
Um, they're sort of a, you know, a couple top contenders within, within the UK in general, um, but it's, it's still up in the air in terms of what the actual uh, location is going to be. And do you have a preference that you can tell us? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're honest. There's, there's some, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, there's some top contenders out there, um, but uh, nothing that I can mention publicly. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's fine. And, and, of course, the other thing for Catapult is that there's the possibility that you're uh, going to then, uh, other than set up an office, you're also going to look at um, uh, getting a supply chain set up uh, through the U.K., Correct. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So one of the things that um, that so far the, the, the catapult has been exceptionally helpful with um, is just connecting us within the UK ecosystem to various technology partners, suppliers, distributors, all these great things. Um, and so we're sort of in the early stages right now of uh, setting up some new technology partnerships, which we're pretty excited about. Um, but thus far, the catapult has been a, a really excellent partner in terms of just um, just creating those relationships. Can you give me a ballpark figure of what kind of investment Kepler is making uh, to set up in the UK? Uh, I can't because I don't know the full extent of it yet. Um, so it's it's not, um, you know, what we do kind of in the near term is going to be vastly different than what might happen in the long term. And a lot of what is going to happen in the long term depends on how the near term goes, so to speak. Um, so I, I don't, I don't quite know what is going to be the full extent of it, um, in the future. What I can say, um, is that in the very near term, we have, um, effectively committed, but there's, there's sort of no, no fixed timeline on it. Um, we have effectively committed to, um, establishing a, a sales and a distribution center within the UK, which is going to be handling, um, all of our, our European customer development and, and European, um, um, sales activities and, and things of that nature. Um, that's going to be a relatively small operation in the near term, you know, just a couple of, of, of people out there. Um, but that's sort of what we've, what we've committed to within the short term. And by short term, I mean, you know, the next, let's call it 12 months or so. So as part of the partnership, um, they're going to, uh, help you build a third satellite. Um, mm -hmm. do have you identified who's actually going to build that yet? Is it Clyde space or open cosmos or? We have not identified that yet. You haven't decided. And do you know when the launch would be? Um, so we are, we're base lighting right now. Um, probably, um, you know, the border between Q2 and Q3 of, of 2019. So that's somewhere in the range of, you know, let's call it June to August of 2019. Um, obviously, we haven't solidified a launch partner at this stage. So to be determined exactly what vehicle we're going up on. Um, but somewhere in and around that ballpark. But it, it, am I correct? Because I, I was reading the earlier press release from Catapult. Uh, as part of the deal, um, they're actually paying for the cost of that launch. Uh, in part, um, in a part. lot of the a lot of the way the um, the, the contract is structured is, is we're co-funding it together. Okay. Um, so it's not you know 100% commitment from either side of things. Right. Um, and so that that goes right down you know in terms of uh, launch procurement, subsystem procurement, payload development, all that good stuff is sort of. Um, all mixed into it, and, and it's it's divvied up, you know, in, in various manners in terms of who's actually covering various parts of it. Now, your first two satellites, KIP, which was launched in January, and CASE, yep. which is going to launch uh, this summer, and I believe it's going to launch on a on an uh, Indian rocket. Um, 
Uh, I won't comment. No, you don't have to. Um, And this new satellite is going to be called TARS. Now, um, originally, so you had two technology demonstration satellites. Now you have a third. Was the plan all along to have a third? And um, if not, um, what is actually the, you know, have you learned lessons from KIPP already that you're going to use to modify TARS uh, to, to test things differently? Yeah, a ton, a ton. So um, the short answer to this question is, is TARS is going to be substantially different than, than KIPP and CASE. Um, kind of from a, a high-level perspective, TARS is going to be a 6U, KIPP and CASE are only 3U, so we've got more power, more capabilities, all that good stuff. Um, but the real difference between the two, between uh, KIPP, CASE, and TARS um, is in terms of the types of services that they're demonstrating. Um, so I'll, I'll dive into that in a little bit. For in a little bit. Um, so basically, KIPP and CASE are focused on very high capacity data store and forward services. Um, so you can imagine moving very large volumes of data from remote regions and doing that globally. Um, CASE, or excuse me, TARS on the other hand is going to be focused more on narrowband connectivity. Um, so connecting billions and billions of, of um, very small Internet of Things devices deployed globally. Uh, and that's going to be the primary function of TARS. So basically a completely different technology set, still building on the same capabilities that we, that we learned from in, in, in KIPP and CASE, um, but a much more upgraded platform, much more capable spacecraft. So is this an evolution of what you had already planned, or uh, was, this, is, was TARS something that afterwards you said, okay, let's, let's, let's build something different? You asked that question as well, and I skipped over it, didn't I? <laughs> um, yeah, so, so the, the original plan was just delivering upon Kip and Case and then building up with the Constellation. Right. Um, we did add in TARS, um, largely, to be, to be frank, largely because of the opportunity that, that the IOD presented to us. It gave us the capabilities of doing this. Um, but a lot of it was um, through uh, sort of the customer development that we've been doing in the last month, we recognized that um, the, the capabilities of, of just Kip and Case was not sufficient to provide the type of service that we wanted to provide. Um, so kind of more specifically, the types of applications that we are targeting for Internet of Things connectivity is very demanding in terms of the technology on the spacecraft in, actually, in order to actually serve that need. Um, and so we felt that it was necessary in order to, to add this sort of um, you know, kind of a half step between Kip and Case and a full constellation in order to test out that new technology. Okay, so um, by the way, other than picking mm-hmm. cool names from robots in the great movie Interstellar, should we read anything more into the choice of the names? No. Right. <laughs> Nothing there. Just cool no. names. Well, yeah, yeah. I think most of them ended in explosions or something as well. I think one of them, one of them went into a black hole. I don't know which one did that. <laughs> and I think another one blew up. I don't know. I think only one of them survived. I haven't watched Interstellar in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of them and survived. Then, oh, <laughs> yeah, we, it was just, that was, we felt they were cool. All right. So uh, earlier this year, you received a contract from the Canadian Space Agency valued at 200K to develop low-cost antenna technology for satellite communications. Can you just mm-hmm. tell me a little bit more about the antenna? And that is, is this meant simply uh, for in-house use or marketed as an additional Kepler product? Good question. Um, so that is actually quite complementary to uh, the demonstration services that we're going to be delivering with TARS. Um, so obviously, um, in addition to all the tech that needs to go on the spacecraft side of things, there's a considerable amount of tech that needs to go on the user segment side of things. 
Um, and so the STDP from, from the CSA was very much focused on the technology that we need to develop for the user segment side of things. Um, one of the key things that we identified was that um, the, the antenna technology on the ground segment was a really big um, hindrance for us to actually be able to deliver the type of IoT uh, narrowband connectivity service that we, we needed to do. Um, and so that's very much what the, the STDP was, was tailored to, but they're quite complementary, the, the STDP and the, the IoT. Okay. Um, you're in a race to capture a portion of the developing machine-to-machine -machine and Internet of Things satellite market, and part of your business plan predicates on being able to access the U.S. market. You've applied to the FCC for a Spectrum license. That process is going, I would believe, slower than I think you expected. In June, you submitted to the FCC an internal technical document that discussed in detail your orbital debris plan. Do you think that document, along with your other submissions uh, and responses, will be enough to satisfy the FCC? So, I, Mark, I'm not the best person to answer that question because I don't, I don't really handle the, the regulatory side of things. Um, and it, it, it's not, I'm not trying to obfuscate or anything. It's, it's just, I don't, I don't know it as detailed as, as some other folks. Um, what I can say on, on that regard, um, is that, um, we very much have, um, kind of a phased approach to our, our business plan. Um, our business plan did not rely upon, um, let me, let me back up a second. The types of services that we're delivering in the near term. Um, are much more focused on the high-capacity data stored and forward applications, and we're seeing um, market uses and, and customers that are not necessarily uh, not necessarily needing the approval from the FCC. Let's put it that way. Um, and so, kind of to, to to summarize this this answer, um, the, the 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 blockades that we're experiencing with the FCC um, is not detrimental to us in the short term in terms of our, our business plan. All right. Uh, now, um, I remember talking to Telesat, oh, I don't know, a while ago, and they applied at the same time as you did. And when I had my conversation um, with them, uh, they basically said that they were expecting at the time, which was, I think, November or something like that, that they were going to get a response, uh, you know, pretty soon. So have you had any indication as to a time frame of when you might have a decision or your license from the FCC? Uh, we might have, but I, I, I don't know. Ah, okay. All right. Yeah. So uh, my last question is... Uh, Earlier this year, you became the first Canadian organization to launch a satellite on a Chinese rocket. How was that? How that? Yeah, how was that experience? And would you use China's launch services again? So, frankly speaking, it was great. Um, you know, I, you know, there was a, a, a fair bit of um, uh, red tape we had to go through on the Canada side in order to export our satellite to China. Um, not, you know, that, that's understandable, of course. Um, but in terms of our, our relationship with the, long, the, the Great Wall Company, um, it was great. Um, we had you know, multiple days where we were at the site um, and meeting with a number of people from, from the company. Um, the mutual respect I felt, or that was sort of relayed to me, it was our, our CEO was there. Um, but the mutual respect that, that we felt was um, uh, you know, palatable, um, and, and you, could, you could sort of sense that. Um, I think they they recognized that it was um, you know, a big deal to have a Canadian company launch with a Chinese vehicle. Um, and so um, that was really important. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, 
kept us up. We had a, we had a great flight um, and, and everything went swimmingly. So would I do it again? Yeah, absolutely. So there was a lot of secrecy around uh, that launch. Um, now that you've broken ground in this area for Canadian organizations, um, I'm, I take it you would recommend this to other companies that are considering it. And um, uh, if you do launch with China again, we might get a little more heads up. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, the you know the the, the secrecy on on the the first launch is largely owing to okay, if it goes wrong, uh, it's easier to manage that if we're a little bit more. Uh, secretive about it than if we're blasting it all over the airwaves and stuff like that. Um, but in regards to uh, the, the question on, uh, you know, recommending it to other Canadian companies, absolutely. Um, I, I definitely recommend it to other, other Canadian companies. I think one of the uh, one of the key advantages that we have being a, a Canadian company is the ability to launch with, with China. Um, you know, we have access to launch supply that uh, American companies and, and um, you know, companies from other countries just simply don't have access to. Um, and when the ability to get your assets up in orbit is a key bottleneck to delivering a service, um, having as much supply as possible in terms of launch capabilities is, is, is pretty paramount to success. Uh, now, if I remember correctly, you didn't actually uh, deal with them directly at first. You went through a, a, a broker service. Can you remind me who that was? Uh, that was Innovative Solutions. That's right. There you go. Out of the Netherlands, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Jeffrey, thanks for taking time in your, your busy schedule to uh, talk with me today. Um, My pleasure, Mark. Uh, hopefully we can chat again as, as things move forward. Absolutely. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash spaceq. We really appreciate feedback, and to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca, or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca, where you'll find an archive of each episode. If you send me a comment by email, I'll write back to you as soon as I can. On Twitter, you can follow us at Canada in Space. And if you use Facebook, you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page, The Space Q. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app.